This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. A few changes this week in the control room, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, guys. Nice to have you working with us. Everybody's moved around. <laughs> You're not even well, going to attempt to know who's doing what? No, I'm just saying hi to everyone okay. and wishing everyone luck, and hopefully we will um, be cooperative hosts and not make them swear too much at us. Uh, sure. <laughs> at least they're allowed to swear. Well, that's it. No, they're not going to go right out over the air. You have yeah. to leave the room and to do it. Yeah. I'll be right back. It's been tough Rumia lately. Exit stage January was a hard one for not swearing. Anyway. I think that should be your month, right? You know, <laughs> where they have a dry month, have a cussless month. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you ask my mom, she says cussless year. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what your mother would say. Your mother's still trying to figure out how to get you to literally actually pay the dime. When we uh, wrestled in high school, if anyone cussed, our coach made us pay a dime. Get out. And that was towards the party. Dimes worth nothing now. It's got to be at least a five dollar. No, your mom would say a dollar at least, (laughs) and and she'd be able to buy a new house at the end of the year if she uh, Ramya probably only six months. Well, you'd probably just walk in and put fifty dollars in it right to begin with. No, truly, yeah, I'd pay ahead of time for an hour. Here you go. And then just start saying whatever it's you want prepaid. to say. <laughs> oh, good heavens. Uh, otherwise, how are you, cusser? I'm doing well, non-cussing, <laughs> everything, all considered. How are you? And the audience really believes that, non. Sure. Uh, good, good. Everything's great. I saw a lot of basketball over the weekend. Nice. Our uh, local team had a couple of games and one really good, one, mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, other than that. Now we got a great show to look ahead as we're here weekdays, folks, from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for being with us. Off the top, let's see what we can get into here before you start cursing at us for running on too long. Coming up, we speak with comedian Ryan Latchett, who's joining us about AMI's all-access comedy special. That'll be coming up soon. Uh, looking forward to Winterlude in Ottawa. It's back this February, and community reporter Kim Kilpatrick's going to tell us more. And the federal court declared that the 2022 use of the Emergencies Act by the government breached the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Well, you know we've got Know Your Rights on the program today. We're going to get into a conversation between Danielle McLaughlin today and with Noah Mendelson aviv later on in the show. We'll get into that conversation in hour two. A dying thief who stole a pair of ruby slippers Judy Garland wore in The Wizard of Oz, is expected today to appear in a Duluth, Minnesota court for sentencing. Terry John Martin stole the famous shoes in 2005 from the Judy Garland Museum in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Martin's attorney says his client gave into temptation after an old mob associate told him the shoes were adorned with real jewels. The FBI recovered the shoes in 2018, but Martin wasn't charged with stealing them until last year. He said at an October hearing that he had hoped to remove the rubies from the shoes and sell them, but a person who deals in stolen goods told him the rubies were glass, so Martin got rid of the slippers. Now the 76-year-old Martin is dying, and prosecutors are even recommending that Martin be given time served because he's housebound in hospice care and is expected to die within six months. I'm Donna Water. 
Oh, I don't think dear. anyone would argue that, right? Like, like, come on, make the sentence, like, fit the crime. I mean, make him wear his slippers around his place, whatever. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's interesting because I do wonder often, um, is there a market? Well, there is a market, obviously. But what organized crime groups deal in stolen TV, movie re memorabilia and, and uh, things like that. Yeah. Like how, you know, is there like, you know, on the old shows you'd see them say, you know, I went to the fence to see what if I could sell this stolen stuff. I wonder if there's that fence they go to that deals in memorabilia. Like Greg David might know, you know, he'd be the person to it's... know is that person out there. Probably, but it's so high profile though. These slippers, yeah. This movie, yeah. That actress, but there's like... got to be specialists, right? Like there's yeah. got, and like he said, he's gonna get the rubies, remove them. These are fakes. What? I know, know, and then just toss really the whole thing the aside. My goodness. Yeah. Oh, I wonder where he got rid of them. Like, I, mean, I wonder like... if they're floating around somewhere or destroyed. Yeah, there's got to be some major intention around this stuff because the rest of us would be like, even if it's fake, whatever, right? Like yes. it's close enough for us to want to. Well. We're goody goodies. We'd have no intention to sell. You just want to put them up on the shelf over there. Right. Those are them ruby slippers from it. Sure yep. they are, Kelly. Yeah, sure. they are. No, sure, sure, Kelly, sure. Um, because of them being, I don't want to say a collector's item, but there are so many people online that would pay big money for yeah. it. They are one of a kind, you know, whatever. Just even for the lookalikes. Good yes. enough as counterfeit, still. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think, guy, why would you ever think they were real rubies? Wouldn't you think they were paste or prop? That's such a fair point. Yeah, like, did he actually go in? I don't know. There's, there's. He believed they were real. I wonder if. And he took an organized crime guy. Let's see. <laughs> I wonder if there's stuff he hasn't That's my organized told us crime yet guy laugh. that he'll tell us in less than six months before he dies. Maybe. I, I think he said everything he can. You think because, so? Like, you know, why hold back now? I mean, I don't know. he's made himself look so silly. He might take but it to the maybe grave. It's not so silly. Maybe in a lot of these movies and shows they use something that's still worth a lot more than what you know we'd wear around as a but i can't imagine that as a pace thing a kid's movie and you're you're going oh yeah they're real rubies for sure yeah like you know, I, 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 that ridiculous like i mean i'm assuming they had more than one you know as set of, backups set of slippers yeah. <laughs> yeah well i guess too some would say the color right but you're looking at old black and white that's uh, what i'm saying oh. It Somebody really has to tell me it is black and white that be... movie. They haven't they doctored it to kind of make it color, I think, but I think but it's true. I think I think I could be really wrong. I assume it was they, fully black and white. That's what I assume. So even but even if it was back or it's excuse like black me, and white even where when you it can was, sort of that's see all the red. it was then. Yeah, like so I don't know if there's a special kind of red that would have come up better. So maybe someone could get it in their head that they would use real rubies. Mm. But then again, maybe he truly believed. Maybe he believed nah. the house was picked up. Maybe he believes in the Wicked Witch of East, West, Southeast, All and so of this on. was just because you drank the Kool-Aid of the Wizard of yeah. Oz. That's right. Really? That was the one kid show I watched. I love when the house flew and she was beside the Because he was a witch, super laughing. fan? That's what this is and all music, about? He, and, and all the music? Oh, it was great. Okay. Anyway, that's enough Wizard of Oz. Enjoy the slippers, wherever they may be or whoever has them now. But remember... The rubies are fake. Don't try to sell them, you fool. We'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks. Uh, when we return on the other side of the break, Michael Babcock is returned by returning guest Jeff Bishop on the program. We'll be talking about, I've got it right this time, folks, <laughs> co-pilot on Windows, right? We'll get into it in just a couple of moments. Oh, oh, sorry. It's the pro version. Next.
Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. folks thanks for being with us it is your monday edition of kelly and rumya i'm at the studio home studio london ontario got a nice green background tall green plants a high excuse me tall green plants and a high window over my right shoulder wooden table plants over my uh wooden table and the plants over my left shoulder uh so there you go folks a little bit of that different background i think we'll run with that this week seems to be a nice one Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Ramya is at the studio in Toronto. We call it main campus. I call it main campus before I get corrected. Mm. I can't put words in everybody else's mouth. That's pretty good. Well, I could try. We'll see if it flows. <laughs> Want to get Thank to you a... for... Yeah. What's that? Nothing. Yeah? Go What's on. That? No, oh, you're okay, going to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was. Thank you, folks, for being with us wherever you are listening in. Uh, maybe you're checking us out through TuneIn Radio, OO Tunes, or the Radio Player Canada app, listening in on AMI-audio, and we are heard over there starting at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, now it's my turn. Let's get to our tech talk. We do this weekly on Mondays with Michael Babcock. news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Rumia. Michael, of course, long time no talk with you. A week is way too <laughs> long. And your guest, who was here a couple weeks ago, is back as well. So, was it last he week is. or a couple of weeks ago? It was, it was a couple of weeks ago. Okay. I was thinking about this. I'm like, what What did we talk about this month? When this month was flew by this? for yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, so, so Jeff was with us on the 15th. We'll introduce him. But I have a quick, very important question for Kelly uh, before we get into that. Kelly, did you not describe the fedora you're wearing because you're afraid there's going to be a, a group of people coming to steal it from you? Uh. Oh, my gosh. There's times <laughs> I forget. And the worst, Michael, is... Colors, right? Because people will say ah. and colors to me are so abstract that I'll forget. Is this a gray or a black? Which one do I? What, which one do I? I know which one by the feel, but I can't just say to people. And I'm wearing the trademark fedora. You know what it feels like because you don't. So right. Well, I, well but that's no, one definitely. When we switched to video last year, um, I, I try to think about it, but I don't. Uh, I'm all, typically wearing either a polo shirt or a sweatshirt, uh, and that's what people will see. So I have a sweatshirt on right now that's open with a polo on it. If you ask me what colors they were, I'd be like, I don't remember. I should ask Megan before we go yeah, on so right? I can describe them. But. <laughs> well, unfortunately, so, I took uh, from Megan the, the description of the background, and I'm so worried sometimes that I'll mix up and say, okay, she said right shoulder, but maybe she actually means to audience so really my left shoulder so i i battle myself with that and and i have to learn how to trust my uh, it's 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 part of the learning experience i'm sure she'll be glad to correct you in your headphones though uh, so oh for sure <laughs> today we are bringing uh mr jeff bishop back on and uh, hey jeff uh how's it going it's been a little while it's good, although it feels like the month's been going on for about a year. Yeah, truly. It's been a, long, <laughs> it's been a little crazy for me. So uh, yeah. my wife told me, she goes, I never see you anymore. You're either working at work or you're working on bits or you're working on something. And huh? I don't know if you exist anymore. And I know it's, I'm sad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard yesterday she came in and go like, I'm on a meeting. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. She just wanted again. to ask a quick question. Yes, yeah, exactly. Again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speak, 
Speaking of bits, uh, let's do a quick brief overview um, and let people know kind of what what exciting has changed with bits. Yeah, so for, for those that are listening in the United States, uh, if you signed up for our Python course and you do not have a Bookshare account, and as long as you are eligible, meaning that you can prove that you um, are blind or low vision or you're a member of the National Library Service, then we'll provide uh, Bookshare access for free so you can gain access to our curriculum. So it's a partnership that we started up with Bookshare, yet another perk that we're giving out to BITS members. So we're pretty excited about that, but that's not what we're really here to talk about, but <laughs> I thought no. people would want to know to kind of follow up on our last time that we uh, talked. And part of, of being in several different organizations requires you to work with a lot of data. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Um, exactly. How you've been able to automate slash uh, experience that that with different data. So today we want to talk a little bit about Copilot and your experience, Copilot Pro, got to get it right, and your experiences with different AI tools. So uh, where do you want to start? Well, let's let's start with the problem to be solved, shall we? So we're, we're dealing with a spreadsheet that has about uh, 1,400 rows and about 40 columns of data. And we need to remove uh, duplicates and we need to be able to determine who who is on one sheet versus another because we're combining a spread, multiple spreadsheets. And I know this is a little confusing, but uh, the, the reason I bring this up because I thought, well, I think I could do this in Excel and we'll get to that in a minute. That turned out to be not the solution for me, but we'll we'll get there. But I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if I asked ChatGPT and I pay for the plus plan for them yep. to uh, to do this. So I said, ChatGPT, look at this Excel spreadsheet and remove the duplicates. And based on this column, tell me what name doesn't exist in either category and provide me an output of a spreadsheet that I can then go and figure out who's missing where. And by golly, gee whiz, it did it. And it did it perfectly. And it did it in about 15 seconds. So I was on cloud nine. You should have heard me talking about mm -hmm. it with Michael and everybody else that we were, we, we, I was, it was like Christmas time at my house. It was. Uh, now we go to the I, I, next, I tried to, yeah. We, we, but the problem is. I tried to, to share next, with Jeff. I tried to share with Jeff real quick, um, a super exciting, another AI feature that I can't talk about right now, but I'm like, hey, Jeff, that's cool. And he's like, yeah, that's cool. But here's what I did. And he was super yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, that's that, that's old school. Yeah, that's the, yeah. that's not interesting. Although that was very interesting, but we can't talk about it. But, right, right. Uh, the, uh, but so the next morning I thought, well, I have to do this again because I got new data. And for the love of me, I couldn't do it. I did same exact file formats. And all this proves to all of you is that don't ever really depend on this technology because even though it mm -hmm. worked the first time, it's not necessarily going to work the second time. So I turned to Copilot Pro and I bought this. Now, the first thing that everybody should be aware of with Copilot Pro is that anybody can buy this. So you can go onto the website at copilot.com and you can purchase. It's $20 American a month for this. The, the trick is to make sure that it gets activated is that you need to go into an office app, sign out of your account. So go to the file menu on the ribbon and IRL up and go to account. And then I tell it to sign out and then I close the app and I reopen it. I know this is convoluted and I'm sorry. And then you sign into the account again because you have to agree to a new license agreement. And so uh -huh. they, this is how they force you to do that. 
then once you do that and you close the app and reopen it, then Copilot appears. Now there's there's a little bit of strange things going on here. In Word, you get to it with Alt I. In Excel, you get to it with Alt HFX. Now why that is, I'm not exactly sure. I think there's slightly different experiences. Uh, so the first thing I, I was trying to solve is I, I can't get Copilot to work in Excel because this was, again, remember the problem to be solved. And it was telling me that Copilot was dimmed. If you're going to try this in Excel, you need to make sure that the spreadsheet is in your OneDrive folder. I don't know why this is. I, I don't quite understand why that reasoning is there, but that seems to be the magic trick that makes it work. Um, but I was not able to really get it to do the things that I wanted it to do that I could with ChatGPT. I could do sorting and filtering, things like that by prompting, but I couldn't do much more. It would keep telling me that it was not able to accept my prompt. So I'm not sure, I'll need a couple more weeks to figure this one out. Now the story in Word though is very compelling. And I don't know that it's necessarily worth $20 a, a month yet for me, but we'll see. Um, the way this works is you press Alt-I and then you can type to it just like you type with ChatGPT. So, you know, uh, write me a resolution pertaining to this and it will, it will go off and it will write it and it will put it in Word and you press uh, F6 to you get to your document. You can review the document. Now, the, the key principle here is that you should not make any changes to the document while you're doing this if you want to go prompt it again and ask it to refine the text. If you do, if you put a space or you put a carriage return or you change a letter or you do anything, then the magic is gone. You must start over again. So you have to delete the content and then re-ask the question and start the process over again. But it works well. It's it's relatively quick. It's I think it's a little bit, it feels a little bit slower than, than ChatGPT. But that may just be, who knows what that is? That could be internet here at the house. It could be any number of combinations of things. But overall, it's it's, it's quite good. Um, to summarize, though, is it worth paying $20 a month for Copilot Pro at this point? Uh, I don't know. I think ChatGPT right now is offering a lot more capability with its plugins and, and add-ons and extensions than what Copilot is doing. But as I told Michael earlier this morning, everything I just said could be completely null and void because this stuff changes <laughs> daily, if not every minute, it seems. Yeah. So sure. stay tuned. Um, it's interesting. It's, it is quite accessible. The UI is a little bit, I wouldn't say inaccessible, but it's a little challenging. Just make sure to use your tab key a lot to get to things. And as long as you do that, you'll you'll be fine. You'll be able to navigate pretty well. It, it works really well with JAWS and it, it seems to you know behave nicely, so. So tab and F6, I think that's an important keystroke yeah, when working uh, with yeah, Office. Tab and F6, Alt-I, yeah. Alt-I yeah. to get in if you're in Word. And, and what was that convoluted Excel again? Alt-H-F-X. And I so, think that actually brings up Copilot Chat, I think it's what it does in Excel, whereas Alt-I brings up just this sidebar thing that you can type into, which is a little bit different than Copilot Chat. So and, this is all just a little still confusing. I, I think we're in, a, it feels like, we're in Copilot 1.0 days, you know? So this may take a 1.1 or 1.2 or 2.0 until we get this really polished. But hey, you know, uh, if you got an extra 20 bucks, uh, you know, try it for a month, give it a spin. 
it, it's interesting and, and we'll learn more and more as time goes on. I'm sure there'll be more articles and more things to be said about it. But uh, overall, um, I, I'm going to stick with chat GPT overall. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a couple more weeks because I've already paid the $20. So I'll play with it for another couple of weeks and then it may go away for a few months and then it might come back. That's the thing about these services, though. You can you can pay for them when you need them. And for the most part, and I, I say that because Jeff experienced yes. this, oh you can gosh. cancel oh. them and then come oh. back. Um, and I told Jeff, I, I told Demasi uh, yesterday on the show, too, that I let ChatGPT Pro lapse for about a week, and I felt like a, a close friend or family member had died or, or <laughs> went oh, away man. or something because it, it's <laughs> one of those I'm really reliant on it. And when I told yep. When I told Jeff that, I'm like, Jeff, or I told Jeff, I'm like, I, I hopefully you hopefully I can get it. And he reminded me that he wasn't able to. So in the last yeah, uh, about 30 seconds, yeah, for months. In the last 30 seconds we have here, Jeff, um, do you have any other comments about Copilot Pro? Yeah, I, I think, you know, give it a try. I think that I think the future is a, is amazing for this technology. I'm excited to see where it goes and it will only get better from here on out. And I think this is a situation where we're all putting on training wheels on our bicycles to drive these kinds of things right now and trying to learn how to talk to them. So we'll learn more about all of this in the future, and we'll have a lot more stories to tell as we learn more. Thanks for visiting us, Jeff. Thanks, Kelly and Romeo, for having us. And uh, enjoy finding Copilot in your office app of choice. Awesome. Jeff, Michael, thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. We'll be back next week for more Tech Talk with Michael Babcock, maybe without a guest, but uh, nonetheless, we learn a lot on these Monday segments. Oh, boy, it's been great. Uh, Get to settle back and really take some things in. We will settle back for about two minutes, just a slight bit more, folks. What is risky outdoor play, you may ask? And is it good for kids? Grant Hardy, he's here in a few moments to discuss this on his headline segment. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Romeo return with more in a moment. So we have returned, ladies and gentlemen. Time to get you back into great conversation as we love to do on the show. I think it's just something that uh, we do pretty darn good. Everybody puts together a nice lineup of guests and away we go with it here on the program. Kelly McDonald here, Ramya Booth, and she's at the studio in Toronto. I'm at the home studio in London, Ontario, where finally, finally, people have reported, hey, I've seen some sun lately. Mm, You guys seen any sun in Toronto? So nice. It's so sunny. I told you I have Is south, it? yeah, I have south-facing windows, right? So I've just yeah, been in yeah. such a fantastic mood all morning before coming here because it's just streaming sunshine in here. It was waving high at us on Saturday here in London. Was it? Oh, it was nice because other people uh, that you know I've spoken to today and stuff have said, "Well, see any sun over the weekend? What the heck? Oh, <laughs> it sucks. We, we've had good, and of course though, it's only for a moment. It's like the sun looks out and says. Well, I made an appearance. Now I'm off to Guelph, oh. and away it goes, right? Like, <laughs> no, let's hope for more, and... more and more and more. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice. Now it's it's got that nice little January feel. I mean, I say that. Um, of course, hearts go out to those who've had any flooding to deal with, because I know with the vast amounts of rain, uh, that of course rears its head. Um, speaking of vast amounts of rain, it's time to bring Grant Hardy in here. We do this segment twice a week with him. We call it Headlines. 
Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. Of course, Vancouver was the first we heard of the river in the air, right? That's that funnel of rain that would just come across the ocean and just pour down across uh, Vancouver. Was it last year, Grant, or the year before? We No, two years ago, we first heard of this. Oh, yeah, exactly. And right now, we are looking at, uh, we had about literally like a few days where it was cold and snowy which shuts down our whole city um and then now it's <laughs> very very warm like i think today it's getting up to like 14 degrees or something and just pouring rain so basically um now there's risk of flooding landslides that kind of thing so essentially the weather conditions are just all messed up mm. wow. what can we wow. say right but you guys of course obviously would would rather the rain, I mean, and I say that again, touch wood for those in landslide possibility areas or flooding areas. A lot of people here that I've talked to are saying that they actually like the snow for a change. I, as well huh. as I would imagine other people in our community, maybe I personally prefer the rain just because it doesn't kind of impede your ability to walk unless like, right. so yes. you get caught up in a, in a landslide. I don't know. We'll yeah. just touch wood. We'll touch wood and we'll keep touching wood. How's that? Amuthan, you've got some wood right I, there in front of you or yep, particle board you or whatever. I've been every time. <laughs> Grant, where do you want to start today? Uh, all right, folks, we're starting with a new report from the Canadian Pedi Pediatric Society that says, don't let your kids play in the rain. I'm joking. That's not what it says. <laughs> um, I think that's a little... Uh, more like don't let Grant be out in the rain. No, it actually says that a uh, little risk can be good for kids. You know, we always hear people talking about like, oh, in the 1980s, you know, we played in a much more dangerous <laughs> way. And I don't know why I'm yeah. thinking on the 1980s. Um, but actually... And 90s. Yeah, I was going to say, and do and I 90s. resemble that remark no, or something like that? 90s. No, no, Kelly, I would have said 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, new recommendations encourage kids to uh, engage in unstructured outdoor play uh, and particularly risky play. So it says that type of play does vary depending on the child, but it is generally defined as thrilling and exciting free play that involves uncertain outcomes and the possibility of physical injury. So examples include play at height or speed unsupervised uh sorry supervised activities not unsupervised uh involving tools such as hammers ropes and knives like whittling or building and the chance of getting lost uh they acknowledge that can be scary to introduce this type of activity into your kids' lives, but they say it's crucial for their mental, social, and physical development. They do just remind parents uh, to not ignore safety regulations. Kids, of course, shouldn't be left unsupervised in uh, hazardous areas, nor should they be pushed outside of their comfort levels. It's up to the grown-ups to be aware of hazards and keep an eye on them. So they're, uh, one of the doctors has a really good quote. It's children should be kept as safe as necessary during play 
not as safe as possible. Ah, uh, uh, interesting. Okay. Well, and then there's Grant. I understand there was the Scarborough version of that article, which taught about kids being unsupervised during knife fights as they yeah. learn to handle knives. Also, we don't know what safe as necessary means. Like, that's, uh, that's just not right. a thing. Safe High forward. flying, <laughs> jumping from rooftop to rooftop. Creating tire <laughs> swings yeah. out of nothing at all. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's that yeah, version. Yeah. Maybe we should put that aside now. Okay. <laughs> that was the exactly. other article. I, I would imagine, yes, exactly. Move on before we get in trouble. I would imagine that this actually a- applies a lot to people in our community because I can't, you know, remember how many times, you know, how often I've maybe been in a playground, you know, the kid, a kid, like a able-bodied kid is, you know, walking around, maybe step somewhere where they don't even like realize that there's a gap in the platform and boom, they're injured or they're riding a bike, they fall, you know, they get a bruise, no big deal. We'll just kind of pick it up the next day, whatever it is. But often people are, are very wary of letting people in the disability community get those same bumps and bruises. Uh, I'm very lucky that at least as a young child and into early adolescence, you know, I played on the playground, even took a hand at riding the bike with supervision, Mm. did some other stuff. And, you know, I got a few bumps and bruises here and there, just like any other kid. Uh, But And and are you glad for that, Grant, in, in where you are now when you look back at it? Does it make a difference? Because... I think it sounds sort of crude for a lay person to say this. So I'm, I'm glad I read an article about it, but I feel like that's a normal part of childhood. I mean, it's a normal exactly. part of a- adulthood. So if you don't let kids kind of experience those types of circumstances where they have to sort of learn their coordination, learn how to deal with you know, adversity, kind of learn like, okay, this is a little bit like cause a little bit of pain. I'm not going to engage in this next time. Like, I don't know. It just feels very, from a lay perspective, very normal. How about you guys? Mm -hmm. I I always wonder, do people feel kids watch too much TV now? Does this come from something like that? And people actually lose perspective that, yeah, you do this, it hurts to break your arm or it hurts to engage, you know, so you start learning by that play. What if this is even on TV anymore? Like, I I think about... I think TV misleads because, like you said, you were able to go out and find out what it was like to fall from a height and and, and decide it how scraped so up you were willing normal. to be. Yeah. And if you didn't, if you said, oh, no, that's too high for me, or, hey, man, a fall here, you, you started to learn how hand quicker so that you wouldn't do something, feet quicker so you wouldn't fall and hurt yourself. But the only way to learn that is to have tripped and tangled up in your feet and yeah. fallen and went, and everybody say, ah, shut up. You only fell four feet. Not <laughs> only four feet. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, part of it is that supervision aspect, too, because, you know, if you're around adults who are always telling you careful, 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 or like wouldn't let you uh, have risky play, then you have kids like us who did it anyways and we do it behind our parents back or you have kids who are like very terrified now because the adults were always you know cautioning you right so there's that aspect of it and then the other thing is what you said about tv kills i remember watching so much tv where and even books where kids were doing the same kind of stuff that we did they were going out mm-hmm. they were getting hurt they were building tree houses they were you know just being um like crafty with their play and all this other stuff. Whereas now I don't know, and I don't want to say there isn't, but I don't know if there is. Uh, For example, when I think of books like It, 
by Stephen King or To Kill a Mockingbird. Like, you you just saw that. It was part of the writing. Kids were out and about and playing and doing things that that weren't necessarily safe or would qualify as risky play, and a lot of it was unsupervised. But do people oh. have influence? Yeah. Do kids have influences like that now? Like, I, I'm I, not I, sure. I have to believe some people have some, right? Like, I mean, but you know, like, I'm sure there's people that go more. out and play in the woods and stuff like that if they have them and climb trees or fall down. Yeah. But we but are, are you so getting worried that about... influence from your pop culture? I doubt it. Like, I highly doubt I it. I think the conversations think... in 2023, 2024 well, are, are way beyond different. It, right? way, yeah, like, it's more it's, about it's like safety it's and caution. And, you know, a yeah, lot of, a lot of kids games. are video games. Exactly. Screen Everything time. is what people associate with. A lot of people don't associate anymore with running, getting dirty, playing in trees, oh building trees. That's boring. Build right. a tree using your computer. And community Here. living. Like, I talked about this I last week when this came up, where, you know, a lot of us had kids our age to run around outside with. So if you weren't getting influenced by TV or your parents or whatever, there was just enough kids going around and doing this kind of stuff. Whereas now... I think it's a lot more isolated. We we mimic exactly. TV a lot too, right? We would play the characters we saw on TV. Oh, for and sure. They were, they were action characters. So you did yeah. do the risky things that as yeah. much as you could, you know, maybe you couldn't land on a roof like Superman, but you could land <laughs> on something that was high enough that you could climb up and go, look, Superman. Oh, geez, yeah. he missed. Yeah, you know, exactly. you, could, <laughs> you could get yourself into that trouble. But I think, Grant, for me, uh, going back to what you said about disabled people, my parents didn't know a lot of disabled parents, or disabled parents, parents of disabled children. Mm -hmm. So when they did start to meet some, and I was already doing a lot of things, because I followed along, did everything, rode my bike, climbed trees, did everything my, my other friends did, because in my head there was no reason why I shouldn't. Right. I was aware of my vision, so were my friends, but they would say, hey, up ahead's a hole, or up ahead's, yeah. so we're gonna have to turn up. They just automatically, because they knew he can't see, but my parents were told, let him do all those things. Yeah, well, what's, well, my mom would, well, what if he gets hurt? And my father's favorite saying, especially when people would say, what are you doing letting that kid climb trees? Am I, he might fall out of the tree. My father's favorite term was, yeah, but guess what? He'll stop at the ground. <laughs> and it made so much sense because it was true. It was Sure, I might be hurt, but yeah. I'm not going anywhere else. And it's the same things they did. I think we've lost a lot of that connection as, unfortunately, a lot of kids today's parents didn't do that stuff or had oh. the opportunity. I'm not saying they didn't want to. They just may not have had the opportunity or the interest. It was, ah, it's boring to go out and just ride around the complex when I can sit here and play a battle game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that the world, you know, understandably has lost a little bit of innocence, which is fair. And I don't think anyone would ever advocate for, you know, unsupervised play necessarily. Especially with tools, ways. right? Exactly. But yeah. I, you know, I certainly remember, I certainly remember a lot of uh, times where, you know, we'd be playing at a playground, my, like, my mom would be getting these looks from other parents, like, how can you, you know, let your child <laughs> yeah. is going to get hurt on the structure, and then their child would get hurt instead. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's really one of these situations uh, where I think, um, you know, just I think you learned a toughness, Grant. You got used to the fact, and you learned very quickly that all the sand you'd eat and didn't adventure and resilience. Like, there's exactly. just so much that we get just from doing this stuff kind of non-scheduled right like we weren't yes. really scheduling playtime we just always wanted to be out when we were kids and i'm not necessarily advocating that but i'm saying that there's something about the shift in that that kind of makes me worried um because we we now 
you know, like, are offering advice, like, please go out and enjoy some risky play, or parents, please advocate some of this stuff, or, you know, don't pull your kids back from learning these things. Or your kid to climb a tree and wait for them to fall. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no one's advocating yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. But, but, it, it, but you do learn a sense of reasoning. A child up, I mean, when I was up in the tree, for some funny reason, I didn't want to fall, mm. so I learned how not to fall. I think it's what, uh, Grant, it was you who said it. Like, these are things that come up in adult life, and sadly, the older we get, the more fearful we get anyway. So if we don't have a lot of these experiences when we were younger that kind of build this part of us, if you will, uh, are we really expected to learn it at that same rigor now? I really doubt That's it. it. Yeah, it's a funny thing because it is really necessary, I feel, um, to a degree. But I also remember running around with hammers and stuff like that that I don't necessarily oh, yeah, advocate we were, and didn't we even unsafe. then. But, yeah. you know, but we were taught how to use it. And when we said, Dad, can I borrow? Yeah, don't lose it. That was the biggest don't thing. Lose it. It. Don't, don't hit your buddy. Don't even ask don't, any follow-up don't lose questions. It. You know, never mind. Just and and you know and don't hit each other with it. You know, yeah. don't nail and don't nail and ha ha. Yeah, we borrow a lot nail, of stuff without don't our parents your hand knowing. To the table. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Grant. Thanks, guys. Grant Hardy, reporter and producer on our program, joins us Monday and Wednesdays when we talk headlines. So look for him on Wednesday's program. Up next. We speak with comedian Ryan Lanchitz about AMI's all-access comedy special that, of course, he's on, and we'll get all the details from him after this. Like Keep a pronouncer for on AMI-tv. So I've been banned from doing my screeching tires noise, folks. On I air, yeah. It. Yeah, of course, right? Because it would not be the pleasantest on ears, no, no matter what. Gets away with it in real in life. The control room. Oh yeah, only in real life. But I bring this up because we're making a change in a moment. But after I um, tell you a little bit about the podcast, how you can find us, maybe I'll make a slightly screeching left oh. turn noise. Okay. <clears throat> so be be ready. Uh, folks, check out the podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform where you can listen to the show in its complete form, including the audio vanity cart. Already sent that in for the day. And you can also listen to the show in segment form at your leisure. That's the Kelly and Rumya podcast experience. Take it in at your convenience using your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, maybe give us a rating and review. Here it comes. See, just a gentle one, Rum. I didn't even hear it. It was gentle. Too gentle. I was afraid to do it, it too loud. It was false. It was a, it was, okay. It was a bad sound effect. It was a placeholder. No, no. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, okay. That'll right, work. I'll, call, I'll let you call it that. He's just ah. a tease. Okay, there you, there go. you go. Thank you. Um, anyways, lots of stuff going on at AMI Always. We like checking in on Mondays to see what we can highlight for you. And uh, today we're going to highlight the uh, AMI's all-access comedy special, which we've been really, really looking forward to because it's comedy. That's awesome. Uh, and we aren't able to get our comedian on for today. So in place of him, my God, it's Another Greg comedian. David. <laughs> Greg David from our marketing and communications department. Uh, Greg, are you going to do some comedy for us today? Too? I was just going to make a joke <laughs> that I could maybe test out five minutes of my new, uh, new stand-up oh, uh, yeah? with you guys. And you could just let me know. If we lose viewers, we know that it doesn't work. Yeah, and then I don't I don't know if it's a good idea because then they might not come back for the all access 
That's, that's the true. whole thing. Is that a sample of them? Forget it. Yeah. Oh, oh, boy. Yeah, you should probably yeah. Well, not. Yeah, I, I'll I'll keep all of that. Uh, I won't I won't practice anything. I'll, I'll leave it up to the uh, the mm. professional comedians that are appearing on All Access Comedy in uh, in a few weeks. Thank you. And before we get to uh, All Access Comedy, want comedy? Wanted to ask you, um, how much of a risky play person were you when you were a kid? We're trying to find out, you know, the generations of it. Oh yeah, risky play. Oh uh, yeah, it's funny. I was talking about this the other day with uh, with with somebody that um, out on the uh, the playground. Um, we played dodgeball. We played Red Rover. Um, we were allowed to go on the roundabout. You know that thing that spun really fast mm. on the playground. We were allowed to um, uh, do piggyback fights and that type of thing on the school on the school ground. Um, and I'm 53, and I knock on wood have not broken any bones. So I'm one of the people that likes to like. I think that the only way to let kids kind of play and have fun is to let them do things like let them go outside and eat dirt because that's the only way they you kind of build up those microbes so uh yeah i'm definitely on that camp let them play let them get hurt because it's all uh it's all it's all about learning right i actually wiped out on my bike several times and i think it may be a better person having having gravel embedded in my knees and elbows yeah i think also you got to that point where you said man i don't want to get hurt so when you did something you either learned how to do it really well or be smart enough to say hey greg yeah, we're going to jump that. Yeah, you yeah. go first. That's the thing. <laughs> risky play leads to more risky play, which may not be advocated yeah. also, but still. <laughs> I, 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 no, because, I mean, you, like like Kelly said, I mean, you learn from your mistakes. Now that I'm thinking about it, I tried to jump, uh, do a double ramp on my motocross bike, and I made it over the, the first ramp, but I didn't make it over the second Oof. one, and my front tire hit the second one, and I went over the handlebars, and then my bike landed on top of me. So, oh. I mean, I didn't And they were heavy, Greg. Of- they were heavy. Oh, I didn't man. ever try to do that jump again. So, no, you know, yeah. I, I learned oh. from that. You well, I did, did, but, but on all a lighter the stunt bike. devils didn't. Yeah. Because <laughs> I used to do that. I used to love doing jumps. And my brother caught me because he had loaned me. He said, you can use my motocross bike. He was getting too big for it. But he didn't like how hard on it I was because it had the shocks and everything on it. And right. that sent him around the bend. I, uh, we didn't talk about the building microbes and eating dirt part, so I'm glad you brought well, that Well, I did. Up. I mentioned to Grant all the sand. How come your kid eats all that sand out of the box? There's nothing to play with. Gross. I made a comment. <laughs> okay. Rum, you ready to move on yeah, now? Yeah, <laughs> Please. I think we've advocated risky play enough now on the uh, show. Poor that's Grant good. now is hearing it for the first time. I said, you said that to me on the air? That's I ate sand? No, <laughs> no, not him. Just anybody did. else, whatever. Uh, okay, let's talk about the All Access Comedy Special. Where do you want to start? We were supposed to get comedian uh, Ryan Lachance on, so hopefully soon. But tell us about what this special is. Remind us. Yeah, sure. So you know, way back in uh, in April uh, of uh, of last year at the two twenty at the two thousand twenty three Halifax Comedy Fest, um, we filmed this special called All Access Comedy, and the whole point behind it was to have members of the disability community up on stage telling jokes. There are many, many members of the disability community in the stand up world, and so we thought, hey, while everybody's together in Halifax for Comedy Fest, let's get some members of the disability community together. Uh, and uh, let's film it. Let's get some cameras there. Let's get some members of the disability community and the able-bodied community in this theater. Uh, so that's what we did, and and this is the result of it. 
How many I, comedians? I like the idea, right? I love the idea of it because next thing I'd like to hear suggested is a storytelling one of the same. You know, there are so many applications, and unfortunately, so many of people doing their own thing in isolation out there. Um, and I know they're 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 performing in front of audiences. So when I say that, I don't mean ah, they're in their at home sitting around their dining room table doing their own skits. I mean that we just need to know about and to pull them together for an event like this. Um, it's really special. Uh, Greg, sorry, I cut rum off. How many? Yeah, yeah, no problem. So it's uh, so DJ Demers, um, who you re guys recently had on to talk about one more time. He is the MC and host of All Access Comedy. So he's the bookend to the show. He comes out and introduces the comedians, and then he comes back in and does well, he does a couple of minutes off the top, and then he does several minutes at the end of the special. So in between DJ, we've got Courtney Gilmore, who identifies as having a limb difference. DJ Demers, by the way, identifies as being a member of the hard of hearing community. Courtney Gilmore, who has a limb difference. Difference. Um, Tanya Lee Davis, who is a little person, Aaron Bellal, who is mute and also has cerebral palsy, and Ryan Lachance, who hoped to be here today. He uh, has quad spastic cerebral palsy. And so each of these comedians comes out, and just like in any stand-up uh, stand club, does uh, five to ten minutes of, uh, of performance. And, uh, you know, obviously they dwell on, you know, like any stand-up comedian talking about their life. They talk about their lives as being members of the disability community. And uh, it is some funny, funny stuff. Um, we're going to get to the date and time in a few minutes. And I'm glad that it's airing a little later in prime time because we're definitely pushing some boundaries with, uh, with regard to some of the topics that Kevin get covered on all all access comedy okay, so I love that means it. your mother will be there with the jar room collecting uh, swear, <laughs> swear dollars. it's not me i don't know if we can just uh, extend it no, no i can tell you there's no swearing um oh. but i do you know like but the, you know the stories that are told get get to be a little bit risque and maybe a little tmi in some cases right, right? best kind of comedy i think um yeah. <laughs> did you did you have to have a lot of conversation we we have talked about all access comedy comedy with you before i don't know why i keep saying comedy today anyway um, maybe yeah anyway with a similar name so did did you have to have a lot of conversation for what this special ought to be for the community and you know talk about what kinds of styles or uh, the kinds of stories or representation or like you said with the, the swearing and not swearing you know what it needed to be in order to air it as a a prime time as a ami special yeah, that's a great question. I mean, any stand-up comedian um, that's been in the business for a while has, you know, two different types of acts, or maybe three different types of acts. One will be kind of the corporate, mm. um, you know, act where it's very, very clean, you know, not any, you know, kind of swearing at all. Um, there's one that's kind of middle of the road, and I think that's what we got for all access comedy. And then there's just stuff that you would get in the in the in the comedy in the comedy club, you know. Um, so I think that we got kind of the middle of the road okay. um, when it comes to the 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 jokes that are being told um but one of the things that i wanted to mention is just um you know because these are stand-up comedians and they're not used to idv the integrated described video that ami is known for um they received some training uh to describe uh you know what they were perhaps what they were doing or what they were wearing or themselves or those when they facial moves right great exactly. so much comedy relies on yep. that 
Yep, yep, exactly, Kelly. And uh, and so they would do uh, they would describe themselves when they came out on stage, and then at different points during their stand-up act. But then also so that the special was fully accessible to members of the deaf and hard of hearing community, we had uh, there were ASL interpreters that were out on stage. Um, we also had live captioning that was going on as well. And it's funny because actually right off the top, DJ, who I mentioned is a member of the hard of hearing community, talked about the ASL interpreter who was there live on stage with him, who he's known for years and is actually friends with they developed a friendship and uh and so he you know she became part of the act where he was making fun of the fact that she had to you know do asl for everything that he was saying including spelling out super supercalifragilisticexpialidocious uh so really really uh you know funny stuff off the top that got that got the crowd the live audience there into a into a into a great mood right off the uh right off the top so for the 13.5 minutes that i did stand-up comedy in my my previous iteration of Kelly McDonald years ago. Um, That facial I mentioned, but one of the things that you learn first about comedy is everything to do with the timing, of course. How you deliver, and one rhythm, even if one joke is not necessarily associated with another, but those moments, the way you you make that audience feel comfortable, feel a part of, and get on your roll. Um, When we're adding the IDV, and those those guys are going away and kind of incorporating that as they have to into... Mm-hmm. what they're doing. Do you feel, Greg, I mean, that's a challenge. Did you have, did, did, do you know of anyone coming back saying, look, I don't think I got it at all or feel that kind of way about it? I'm not, not taking it away from their comedy, but we're sitting there saying, hey, we'd love to have you here. Here's an element, though, you need to add to your routine. Yeah, no, I don't think so. And that's a great question as well, because it is all about the rhythm, like you said, Kelly. For the, for the main uh, the main part of the, of the IDV was when they first would come out on stage and describe who they were and what they were wearing and perhaps what they mm-hmm. looked like. So Aaron mentioned that he had a guide dog with him. Um, Aaron uses, uh, because he's mute, he uses his phone with with uh, with voice uh, to tell the joke. So obviously, you know, that was part of it, describing, you know, what he, you know, how he was going to be delivering the joke. So, but no, it was, it was very seamless. Other than kind of off the top any of the jokes that they told they weren't visual jokes they were you know in the theater of the mind type of thing so they didn't really have to describe anything that they were doing it wasn't like someone was down on the floor or you know wriggling around or anything like that right I can't, yeah i couldn't think of any other reference i'm yeah. sorry for that visual but uh yeah it was it was just kind of just to describe themselves off the top okay i have one quick thing because i'm curious before rum slides in with her last few things um we did our our, our special, primetime special live. We had a, quite yeah. a crew there. Thank you, Apple Orchard and everything that was provided. Um, from doing these experiences, obviously, as a company, we're learning and knowing what we need to make pull something like this off. Can you just briefly describe what they had there in the setup and that for it? Oh what, yeah, so it was it, it yeah it was so it was set up in a theater in in Halifax and and there were monitors that were set up for the live closed captioning. The ASL interpreter was up on stage to DJ's right, so stage left if you're facing the stage. Um, uh, but that was really it. Other than that, it was the typical lighting that you would see on a or the you know the typical stage setup for a stand-up comedy show in a, in a theater environment. Um, uh, Audience-wise, uh, wheelchair users were sitting right down front. Um, there was, uh, you know, uh, so you know that was great, and uh, and you know members of the audience were sitting in the theater seating. So there there wasn't a lot that had to be done. Obviously, there were some changes that had to be made, but I guess that's the big thing: is that you know to make something inclusive for everybody, you don't have to do a lot, and so mm-hmm. it should be kind of second nature at this point. 
So I'm looking forward to this, obviously, because it's comedy. Uh, we've now, I feel like we've been teasing about it for about a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's just so much going on uh, around this, Greg. Do you have any momentum past this into the next comedy thing? Like, we've been talking a lot more about comedy around the network in general, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, that's a great question. And I can't say anything official yet, but I can say that there are some preliminary talks. This may not be the last all-access comedy special nice. that AMI does. Okay, looking forward to it. Uh, one more time, the details on when we can tune in. Yeah, so all-access comedy, it debuts Friday, February the 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV and also on AMI+. Plus. So if you miss it in the broadcast, uh, you can check it out on AMI+. Plus. But again, that's Friday, February the 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV and on AMI+. Plus. Cool, thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for filling in. Greg David from our marketing department. He joins us every other Wednesday as well to talk TV. On the other side of the break, to begin our second hour, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Danielle McLaughlin here with Noah Wright. And joining her today uh, will be uh, Noah uh, Mendel, uh, Mendelson Aviv will be here. Uh, we'll have a little bit of a chat. And up next, Winterlude is back in Ottawa. And Kim Kilpatrick, our community reporter, will fill us in. We'll be returning after this break. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Well, they say that the show, the live show, lots of moving pieces. And Ramya and them tried to sell that to their guests Friday when they were coming through on a tour. <laughs> Today, I actually believe you guys. We have lots of moving pizzas today, lots of going back and forth. We thank you folks for being with us on the program. But everybody seemed to have fun when we had Ian in the crowd in here. I don't know if Ian was there. Ian but wasn't the, the, actually the, here. We're talking about oh, Ian White, CCP, uh, Toronto Visionaries president. But we did have several people here. And uh, the best part, like the highlight for me, was when we put people in the co-host and host chair. Uh, basically as if you and I were here in studio together, Kels. And we mic'd everybody up and gave them audio feedback on cueing into the segment, out of the segment, and they did, like, mock interviews for two, three minutes. It was super fun. That would be uh, just so much fun. Really great to to see that, to have the, especially the going back and forth. So did someone play the guest, or did one of you guys yeah, do that? Yeah, it was uh, one person. No, we weren't involved at all. Just left it oh, up to nice. their own devices. Uh, so someone would play host and someone would play guest. And uh, we nice. actually got one where it was a job interview oh, for the president oh. of AMI. My goodness. <laughs> Well, well, how did David do? Oh, I meant... Uh, Future David? <laughs> no, Arrington. <laughs> uh, auditioning for his own job. Uh, he wasn't uh, here. That's uh, too bad. Hoping he doesn't right, find so out then, about this. Uh, oh, it must have been John Melville then. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> folks, we visit with our community reporters on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays on the program. Today, we welcome in Kim Kilpatrick, our community reporter in Ottawa, Kim, thanks for being with us. Nice to have you back. Hello. How are you? Yes, I'm very good. I have a bit of a news flash today. I was asked if we could have people in the blind, low vision community to assess a new production that they're working mm. on for women with ASL and uh, dance and all kinds of stuff. Um, 
Sunday, February the 11th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. If you are interested in the Blind Low Vision community, they want about 10 people, if we can, they can get it, to just observe and test out the audio description, please email me, kimstoryteller at icloud.com. That wasn't one of my stories, but I just was asked this shout morning, out. so I figured yep. I should shout it oh, out. That's a great one. And you need a bunch of people for this. This is great. Is this in Ottawa or where? I'm in assuming, Ottawa, right? yeah. Dominion Chalmers okay. Church is where it's going to be, but uh, you need to email because there's an app you need to use, and they really want feedback. They're trying it out, which I think is really amazing that they have, like, sound, music, stories, interpretive dance, and ASL, and they're trying to describe. So next time I come on, I'll have to tell you uh, what uh, what occurred with that but wow. it's, it's just nice that they reach out to our community oh, and yeah. that they, like, they reached out to me and said oh we've heard of you and and uh, would you would you help us get these people and do this so it's it's really fun to this when is you get great that. it's this is really serious too because it's in the middle of the yeah. super bowl uh kim <laughs> oh, uh, I, oh i didn't <laughs> i'm so not a super bowl fan oh no that, that no one will come uh, no. as soon as he heard say, february 11th that's all he was waiting to oh, say all I'm thinking of is, oh, it's a little hard to get people to do anything but eat bad food for them. And, <laughs> Real. And well, maybe like we football. can order bad food. Can we order bad food? Oh, also, <laughs> if you can set now, maybe they can change the dates. <laughs> the, the, they'll have to order the food so far in advance. Kim, sorry, give us the where you want them to e email you so they can register. Email Kim Storyteller, Kim Storyteller at iCloud.com, please. Okay. All right. Uh, new <laughs> access card. <laughs> See, she's making fun of me already. Uh, for Oc Transpo. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I think you guys use Presto cards in Toronto. There's different ways of, of getting accessibility for those of us who are blind, low vision, who get free access to public transit. So here in Ottawa, that would include OC Transpo buses, the LRT, and the O train when it comes back online. Um, so it's offline? Well, the O train, they're, they're expanding it, so it's been oh, I see, I for see. a while. So that's okay. like the second line of our LRT is called the O train. Uh, it's a bit confusing, but anyway, that's the way it goes. But um, before, we used our CNIB cards for a long time, and then when the LRT came in, they, they started, they gave us a new card, which is called the A card, or accessibility card. And I realized sort of last month that mine was expiring after five years. So it's for five years they'll expire. So I realized mine was expiring. And so I went on a little adventure. I found out that I had to go to the OC Transpo, um, the OC Transpo kiosk, which is in the Rideau Center on the third level. Um, and there's a little kind of storefront that um, lets you get into there to get a new to get a new A card. So you can't do it over email because they want to check and see if they have to take a new picture and all of these things. So you have to go and get this this new A card um, and check the back to see if you got them near the beginning. A lot of them will be expiring soon. So you need to go there and get uh, this this new card. So what happened to me? was I went, they checked, I was still in the system. They said they didn't need a new picture, but a friend of mine went with me and they were not in the system anymore, which is weird because I think we got our cards at exactly around the same time. And his card was actually still working at the time. So I don't understand quite why that happened, but um, they put him back in the system. They did a new picture for him. Um, and so they, they take, it takes about five minutes to get a new card. 
And if you had a companion card, so there's a system here where you can ask for a companion card. I, I don't do that because I almost never, never travel with <laughs> friends on, <laughs> on transit that okay. need a companion. No, but you know what I mean. I don't like, I don't. Sounds like I you're reassessing need... your situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't need assistance. <laughs> I never I don't travel have with friends. friends. But you know, either okay, my yeah. friends drive or, or else mm -hmm. they don't, like they have their own bus passes and so So I haven't really needed that, but some people do. You know, maybe they need a companion with them on. So you can get one, sure. a companion card, and you would get them both at the same time. It takes about five minutes to give you the card, but the thing uh, that you want to make sure is it doesn't work for about 24 hours after you get the card so um it's okay on the bus you could just show it if you want to you can show it on the bus you don't have to tap on the bus we don't have to tap on the bus although there the guy explained to me that he he thinks that everyone should tap so that it shows ridership so it's not even just like your card the driver will tend to just look at it and say okay you know that's an a card you get on but he explained to me that this, there's a day here where seniors get on free Wednesdays and no one was tapping. And so the bus schedule looked like the buses were totally empty and they were going to cancel routes. But it was actually that like all these seniors, the buses were jammed with seniors. But because it was free, there was no way of telling who was riding the buses you know, on those days, they weren't tapping. So they really encourage everyone to tap because otherwise your routes could get cut. Like if it looks like the ridership is down, their their routes could really get cut. So um, they encourage you to tap, but for 24 hours, you won't be able to access the LRT with it because you wouldn't be able to get in through the fare gates. So if you needed a, a day pass, you can get one of those for free down at the fare gates, but um, just be aware that it won't work for 24 hours after you get your new card. Okay. So just check your cards, and um, I think it's the only place you can get it is the Rito Center, but it was very um, seamless. He knew what he was doing. Um, and remember to ask for, there's a little um, triangle that they put on the card that's raised, and it identifies that that's what that is. They also have um, cases for them now that are like, part of a lanyard so that I, I got one and I put a lanyard on it I find that very helpful because you know you got your hands full so if it's around your neck they can just see it or you could have it around your neck and still tap the fare gate or tap the mm -hmm. the, the bus thing. yeah and as you say like it's the tapping is used for more than just uh, yeah. getting your getting you from point a to point b so that's good to know uh, I never thought of that. Like, I never thought yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. They're it using me. it as, you like, know, kind so of like, a... why do I tap? I don't need exactly. to tap. The driver just says, okay, go on, go no, on. No, it makes a lot like of sense. That. Even with the Presto system here in Toronto, I'm thinking, like, oh, yeah, it does make a lot of sense to just kind of keep track of the, the data, the information, right, on ridership. Um, Kim, we got to run uh, through. So tell us about Yeah, the... should I jump to Winterlude? Because Winterlude is um Okay, do you want to quickly up, tell right? me, though, the uh, taxi coupon program? Yeah, so the taxi coupon, I just want to remind people that if they get paratranspo, they are eligible for taxi coupons. They can order the taxi coupons. And I use the taxi coupons quite a bit. You get a 55% discount on your fare. So you pay $18 for $40 worth of coupons. Nice. So that is a big jump, right? Yes. Um, you can find them at octranspo.com slash paratranspo slash taxi coupons. So definitely if you are on para, you can order books every month. I don't, I don't personally order them every month, but I suppose some people people can and it is a really wonderful um, service 
so that you know that you can book your own cab when you want to and you don't have to worry about you know the 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 ride share or you don't have to worry about any of these things so um the taxi coupons is a really great uh, thing that we have with paratransport. So I just wanted, I just ordered some books. So it just reminded me, we really need to um, shout out for that because not everyone realizes that it's there and it's a very good system. So yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, Kim, let's jump to Winterlude so we can get some information in on it. Yeah, so Winterlude is here uh, this weekend. It starts. Um, the canal was open. I think it's still a bit of it is open. Last week it was really cold, and they were saying <laughs> everybody skate on the canal now. You know, like go skating on the canal. So um, I don't know. You know, I really hope it stays open and the ice sculptures stay and everything. But the highs this week, the lows uh, tonight, tomorrow are about minus ten. But the highs are right around freezing. Like it's been right around freezing for the last few days. So I really don't know what's going to happen. I mean, people are talking yeah. about the future of Winterlude and what's going to happen. But it's amazing all of the things you can do during Winterlude in the various activities and like snow activities and the canal and everything like that. Uh, it goes for the next three weekends. It's always the first weekend in February that it starts and it goes until right. the third weekend in February. So please, please uh, go to Canada.ca, Canadian Heritage, but campaigns, Winterlude, winter activities, and you will find many many things to do if you if you come here at this time you will hopefully get to skate on the canal um i know this is going to be a long-ranging discussion uh about winterlude though and it's it's sad you know to think about yeah. it but well, well kim i hope the know. canal isn't the deciding factor i get it i i mean i get it but things do yeah. change over the years and there are so many other like the what the heck do they call the hog people or whatever the ones that come and run around at, at, at the different oh yeah no they'll like they'll carry it on some way but yeah, um, they it's have just a matter to, of trying Trying to figure figure out. this out, right? Yeah. Yeah, but and it's yeah, so exactly. hard to say. We can't say, you know, oh, February is a better month than January. Maybe move it up or move it to the. You just don't know. And I, I think they do a great no. job. I mean, it makes it a little hard to carve ice if it's, you know, four or five degrees. I understand uh, that. Yeah. But <laughs> well, but you <laughs> know what? So they carve cool it things. and they they carve them now and they cover them up. So they cover yes. them up at like if it starts to get warm, they cover them up with some things and then they sort of unveil them again. You know, when it cools off. So they have a sort of a system. And the, the, uh, those ice sculptures are huge, Kelly. Would take a lot to, to totally oh, gosh, uh, yeah. freeze. You know, thaw yeah. those. But that softens them, and I know they got to be careful. But they are. Yeah. They're pretty big. Uh, when I was shooting yeah. blindsided, we had a lot of fun down there, and there was a lot we were able to to look at and get up close. But yeah, I, I think that, like you said, it'll be re envisioned in in some way. Kim, thank you. Oh, thank you, everybody. We'll see you we'll later. Talk to you soon. Okay. Yeah, great, Kim. Okay. Kim Kilpatrick, our community reporter in Ottawa. Lots of good stuff, too, uh, that, that she had for us today. And uh, we visit with our community reporters Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays on the program. We'll step aside for a couple of moments. And when we return on the other side of the break, Rum and I have a little bit of chat for you, some things we'll talk about, laugh about, and, of course, as usual on the program, because we cover so much stuff, maybe even get angry about after the break. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to the program. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthin. I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. She's at main campus in Toronto at the studio there. We forgot to ask Kim Kilpatrick about the risky play as a child. <laughs> 
Oh, I bet Kim was was into so many different things. Right. Because, you know, it's almost like we were forgotten, told, oh, you, you got to be careful. You're blind. What's that have to do with anything? Well, you, you probably shouldn't be swinging from those tree branches or, or whatever. Or what are you doing on this bicycle? Didn't anyone tell you you were blind? Oh, oh. Uh, shocked. I'll get right off here before I get hurt. Yeah. Um, what's the worst injury you had as a kid that you can recall? No, I've had lots of scrapes and bruises. I've ran like face ah, first into count. walls, passed out completely. You know, Any like it's bones? just no. I've I need to knock on wood now. I have never broken a bone. Truly, truly do it because it. I, I I'm did. the same as Greg. I did. I have yeah. never broke a bone. Yeah, yeah. We need to really um, not jinx this right now. As as a thirty year old, I do not want to break bones. But yeah, I haven't. Um, so nothing really comes to mind that was too bad. I mean, I think for me. Gosh, when I horseback rode, I I got I broke a stirrup broke and I flew. But, oh, get you know, out! I had a bad back. That's a big when one. I, okay. Yeah, that was that was that was. And was then that when the start was, of your back injuries? Is that what you said? No, I I don't know. My lower back, even when you know, I was a little younger, that always seemed to be. My mom would laugh at me in the garden because I'd be bent over. I think it's bad posture for me. It's just not so? knowing the right way to bend the lift and stuff like that. Because my parents, my dad particularly, because he had a, a bad back and he was always on me about it. I think the other one was I was swinging once at um, the Boys and Girls Club. I was like, oh, geez, nine years old or something. Yeah. And I was having a great old time. They had one of those bins filled with balls. And I went and swung on this rope and was like, like a ball pit. Yeah, a ball pit. And mm -hmm. I, they had like the area we stood on the side and could dive right in. Well, for some reason, I didn't think about that. As I went to swing over to it, my knees were, my legs were bent and I rammed just above my knees right Ow. into the side. Yeah. I dropped off the rope and that was probably one of the worst, you know, ones where I thought, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had all sorts. We like you still talked never about, bruises lesson. constant. No yeah. way, because as soon as I could crawl back there, I was back up on That's the That's what I'm saying. You know, swinging in there. Like earlier when you guys, you and Greg were talking about, well, you learn not to do it again. I was like, not me. No, it, it was more the complete opposite, oh, which is... No. Try what to get Greg away. What I meant, though, yeah. is that's exactly what you were just about to say. You do the same thing. You just knew next time, Push the Kelly, boundaries that thing more. is coming up, so don't let oh, your okay. knees yes, slam yes, yes, into yes, it yes. again. Yeah, fair, fair. And I'll land never on your actually, feet on it. It never actually reduced the amount of risky play. Like, if anything, oh, we would gosh, push the boundaries no. a little more next time, thinking, oh, First I time in a barn, I jumped the 20 feet off of the, the stacked up hay down into the hay below. Yeah. I just learned how to land better. The first time I knocked the wind out of myself, my dad laughed. Oh, gosh. That's happened to me, too. Again. Not because yeah. of risky play, but like the knocking the window part was probably the most terrifying thing as kids. Because um, not tobogganing, how to land. yeah, 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 and tobogganing, like you'd hit a bump oh, yes. or whatever and just go breathless. And I was like, I'm dying. I think. I remember falling on the toboggan because I stood up on the flying saucer and tried to uh, go down the ski hill that we used to be able to utilize. Uh, and then I lasted a little while standing up, and yeah. then all of a sudden I was flying through the air like an arrow and, and knocked the wind out of myself doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you want to talk about risky play, folks, or shall I say risky purchases. Uh, this is a different take on the concept of driving a new car out of the showroom ends with a man's arrest. Police say a man was shopping for a new car in Muncie, Pennsylvania, southwest of Wilkesbury, and was sitting in one of the showroom cars when employees went to do paperwork and heard the car start up. Then the man drove away, smashing through a window, leaving broken glass and skid marks. It was a high-speed 10-mile chase. Police say he drove onto I-180 East, hit several vehicles, then crashed at an exit in Delaware Township. Arrested, Chuck Severson, ABC News. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Wow. I just don't understand really when, you, when you hear this stuff. That's exactly. So I got it out of the showroom. Yeah, but everybody knows who you are. Yeah, I got what? it on the roadway and the police chased me for 10 miles yes. while they ran all the information on you. They know who you are. I even bounced off for more attention, some vehicles on the highway so everybody would know I was there and they had your name and yeah, everything. Like and not... then I crashed and wrote the vehicle right off. Like you're going to get caught anyway, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would... gonna, he was he was going to get caught like as soon as he turned the ignition on. That's what I'm saying. And I wonder, you know, was it because he was, he needed this car? It, it was like a getaway car. He needed to get out of something already that he was in trouble for. But like, there's no way. It's, it's the middle of the day. You're not getting away with anything. Well, it does remind me of the RV scene in Breaking Bad, though, when Jesse Pinkman, you know, drove the RV out of the lot. He got away with it, though. So it's funny really because I don't know how you get away with anything now. With cameras everywhere, you walk in, and and probably no doubt this guy, if they 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 well, I doubt they took his license or, or whatever, because if you're going to test drive something, they want to you know photocopy everything so that yeah. at least if you steal it, they can get at you. But you know, letting him sit in there with cameras all over the place, because funny enough, uh, I don't know how many people know this, but cars get stolen every few minutes. Yeah, okay, clearly, I'm exaggerating. Every few seconds. But also, the point is, uh -huh. you can't get away with it, rum. No, you, you can't. You're going to be tracked everywhere, so there's no intent to get away with it. Tracked is one thing. Traffic is another. Like, where was this yeah. again? Illinois? Uh, I yep. I think that you can't get away with anything now, especially something like this, like speed chasing in the movies or whatever, because there's too much traffic for that kind of stuff. And even if that's the <laughs> kind of thing, like, say you go and go steal, like, uh, some high-end performance car. Mm -hmm. Like, you must be saying you to yourself. can't. I have a lousy life. I'm going to go to jail, but I'm going to do one crazy thing. And who knows? Maybe the guy had yeah, curious some about his history. where he just said, look, man, you know, I'm I'm already wanted for something or whatever. I'm uh -huh. going to jail for a number of years. So I'm going to they can't make things worse for this me. Last bit of you fun. Know? Yeah. And fun being thankful that those cars he hit on the road, he didn't hurt anybody or, or during but the, the chase, mindset you know. is so toxic because, yeah, you're you're putting so many people in danger. Like he hit yeah. a few cars. Yes. And I know we laugh, yeah. we laugh, but in a moment we could have been telling the story about and he went on a rampage and hit, killed five exactly. people. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. The vehicle. alternate reality of this could have been pretty devastating. And also, I don't even know what injuries he sustained. So no, I don't... there's a lot here. <laughs> well, if he uh, didn't re receive any, he probably uh, didn't drink enough or ooh, drank more ooh, than enough, I should probably well, say. The rumors, uh, they, this kind of a theme, eh, with the resting for our articles right now, because yeah. a sheriff's deputy in Illinois, no, this is the one in Illinois, oh my God, in Illinois made sure a food order was delivered even though the delivery driver was detained. A resident of St. Charles, Illinois, outside of Chicago, waiting at home for a food order. The doorbell captured on a ring camera. <laughs> When they answer, instead of the DoorDash driver, a Kane County Sheriff's deputy asking if there was an accident. No, he got arrested, but we wanted to make sure you got your food, so you guys have a good night. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Kane County Sheriff Ron Haynes saying, my deputies always follow through. Dave Packer, ABC News. <laughs> uh, can you hear Beth's dog Jake in the background? Stop ringing that bell. <laughs> I know. We know he hates that when that happens to Beth. Uh, this is kind of cute, right? I mean, I don't... I love it. I really am. was hoping for more details on the detaining of the person who was driving. Well, well, <laughs> but...
Does that make your food when you think of ordering food next time you think, well, well I'm wondering on. who gets the tip because we're tipping on the app nowadays, right? So DoorDash yep. has got my money and the tip that was supposed to be for the delivery. Does the sheriff get that now? No, that'll be put towards your next. They'll make it up in DoorDash dollars or whatever they call it. What? No, we That's won't. What you'll get. I'm not yeah, getting yeah, my money utilize back. That. No. Oh, no, you won't get it back. They'll just put it towards. We donated it to the store. To the I, store. I, I, like yeah, the restaurant? No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, my money's not do. going there. It's probably oh, sure gone straight into the app. And what do you think of these cops? What do you think of these cops, though? And don't say they have too much time on their hands, so they have no, time I think to it's deliver cute. food. Don't be mean. I think it's. I wasn't gonna be mean. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, small town charm or whatever. Yeah, that's okay. There's nothing going on in that small town. They have time to do orders, and no, now the police department. Next thing we'll hear is the police department in Illinois, the small town. They have enough time to now take up their own delivery service called Cops Deliver Food. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's cute. Uh, I just wondered if they played paid the priority price. I'm back on the money side. Did they pay the priority price to get direct delivery? Who does you know, that? Or what? Other than Jeff Ryman. None he of us do that. that. Do people do that? I think Ryman, in a conversation we were having about deliveries like this, he made that mention uh, kind of offhandedly that I may be making something up here unintentionally, folks, but I think he does, but I've never. No. I no, he wasn't even aware of it. To come direct. Well, he said that, but he talked about because them coming now, direct. Okay, but before it used to be the norm, right? You do come to, if you order food off Uber Eats, Skip, or DoorDash, it was getting delivered to you. But now there's this huge caveat, which is, hey, if you want your food delivered directly to you and not without as any stops. As opposed to the shared service kind of thing? As yeah, opposed to like going uh, to three people Jeff's are getting their food delivered by one person. You? Exactly. You have to pay priority fee now. And what they call standard oh, wow. in, in uh, includes other people's food also getting delivered on that same run. Ridiculous. Is it really that much quicker, though? I, I wouldn't dare nah. say it because who nah, knows how long No, because they always the give you estimated take. time of arrival. Yeah. So sometimes it's an hour the and then, then they say, okay, 20 to 25 minutes, but that's still an estimate. You would never get that money back. If they happen to say that and the restaurant goofed up and the yeah. food took like longer, I they the... would say, we'll put it towards your next order. Yeah, right. I miss the, the back in the day, you know, where you put in a 40-minute timer because your pizza had to be delivered or else. Really, like, oh, you don't get you any of that they... anymore. Oh, no way now. And, and you At know what they say. At all. At all. You know what they'd say. That caused car accidents. People got hurt doing that. How dare you want something they like that? They didn't get hurt before. How dare you? Oh, sure they did. No pizza came on time. That happened. I got run over by a guy that got delivering pizza to no, run. It was always I'm the delivery too. person who delivered their pizza to me. Never had to be the and police. Get there, we're fine. And then you'd have to argue with them to, to quantify. No, you were 31 minutes, not 30. I don't think so. I think your watch is running too fast. <laughs> That but they did the it proper. Thing. Like you would, they would tell you the time that your pizza would be guaranteed delivered at, and they would keep track of it. Ah, uh, the good old days. Right. So if you called back later and said, "Hey, you know, the driver got here," that's when it was all right if they honored it. But they knew you, you, they couldn't, yeah. and they had too many people doing crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Will you guys pay for the ticket I got and making sure that pizza was there in less than thirty minutes? Right. No. The fine print. No. Yeah. And yeah, we hired you to try. You're responsible for all tickets, suckers. Wow. <laughs> wow. Eat right. my pizza. Folks, um, we had to make some changes today in, in segment system movement and people not able to join us. Uh, so we hope you didn't mind us taking a few minutes to talk about some items and laugh a little bit with these uh, these items that we uh, that we had today on the program.
Uh, we will be stepping aside. We've got an incredible conversation next. I think many of you knowing our right, know your rights segment probably expected this. The federal court declared the 2022 use of the Emergencies Act by the government breached the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Why is that? Danielle McLaughlin and Noah Mendelson-Aviv will be here to discuss after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Remember, folks, we're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's when you can check us out on AMI-TV across Canada. You can also find us beginning at 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Maybe you're streaming us around the world on TuneIn Radio, Radio Player Canada, OO Tunes, wherever you're listening in, across Canada or around the world. Thanks for being here. As mentioned, I'm Kelly McDonald with Ramya Muthan. Let's get to our weekly conversation where we uh, discuss and learn about our rights. This is with Danielle McLaughlin, and we call it Know Your Rights. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Danielle, I'm thinking we're going to get a lot of interesting perspectives and uh, opinions today and maybe some clarifications as well as you bring on a very special and regular returning guest for us. That's right, Ramia. Well, I'm very happy to have with us today Noah Mendelssohn-Aviv. She is the Executive Director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, uh, one of the organizations that took the case of Canada's using the Emergencies Act back in February of 2022 before the federal court saying that the invocation of this act uh, contravened our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The decision just came down last week, and uh, I know that Noah has lots of things to tell us. Welcome back, Noah. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Really nice to have you. Now, we know that uh, in the winter of 2022, there were a lot of uh, people in Ottawa, living in Ottawa, who were met with very noisy, prolonged and downright unpleasant protests. And these citizens wanted it to be stopped, and the government did too. Now, the last time we talked with you on AMI, you told us that you believed that the government did not have the right to invoke the Emergencies Act when it did. Why was that? You know, emergency laws are written for serious situations. You might even say extreme situations where ordinary laws in Canada don't suffice. The reason you have an emergency law, for example, is during a war, you just can't get the parliament together. You need to pass certain laws. Government has to take action. And so they're given special powers to make these laws, to make these orders or regulations without the normal democratic checks and balances. And in extreme circumstances, we live with that, but it is dangerous for democracy because those checks and balances are what keep governments accountable, keep them transparent, allow the public to be involved, allow opposition members to speak out. And we don't want emergency laws being used unless we are in that very serious kind of situation. But if ordinary laws will work, that's what should be used. Okay, so um, even though people 
may have agreed that they it was an unpleasant situation. They didn't like it. Um, you know that does that didn't in in the view of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association um, create an emergency situation. Nonetheless, the Emergencies Act was invoked. However, ten days afterwards, they uh, decided to revoke it, and yet the court agreed to hear the case when the act had already been revoked. Why was that? So just going to your to your earlier point about it being an unpleasant situation, it was more than unpleasant, right? I mean, I, I know you don't, you mean it tongue in cheek. It was a very distressing situation. It was extremely it was distressing. It was downright and, and nasty, actually, yes. For <laughs> residents of Ottawa, and in particular for marginalized and racialized communities who experienced uh, harassment and intimidation, even uh, reportedly assault, at the hands of certain protesters and, and blockaders. It was a very, very problematic situation that needed to be dismantled. We didn't take any issue with that. We took issue with how it was done. And ultimately, which comes again back to why the Emergencies Act or why not, ultimately, it wasn't taken apart using Emergency Act powers. It was taken apart using ordinary policing. They brought in extra police services. They set up a plan. They used policing law enforcement plans for a massive disruptive blockade and, and did what they needed to do to undo the blockades. So why did we go to court when all of that was said and done? Why did we make, well, we, we took the government to court before the Emergency Act was lifted. Why did we maintain our court challenge and not say it's over? Because we think that the accountability is necessary for this government and every future government to understand that there is a high threshold to be given this information by a court, this declaration that emergency laws cannot be used unless it meets that high threshold, to know that the public is watching, to know that CCLA and organizations like ours as an independent watchdog organization is watching to ensure that people's rights are protected, the democracy and its checks and balances are protected. So this and every future government should be very careful before they declare an emergency. Sounds like um, even though you may have agreed with the the government that they wanted to see these people gone, the way in which it happened was not okay. Now, the federal court uh, agreed that um, certain rights had, in fact, been infringed by the use of this act. Which which rights did they say were infringed? So when the government declared an emergency, it then gave itself the power, again, without normal democratic checks and balances to pass laws, and it passed two orders. And we said that those orders had violated a number of charter rights, including the right to freedom of expression, and the federal court agreed with us that that was a charter violation, and including the right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure under Section 8 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And there, too, the court agreed with us that there had been a charter violation. Now, did CCLA, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, think that other rights had been infringed that the court did not agree with? Yes, we had. We had also said that this was a violation of charter rights, uh, the right to uh, freedom of peaceful assembly. Yeah, and there were. It wasn't because the orders that were passed across Canada and freedom of association, for that matter, the the emergency orders that were passed across Canada were not localized or focused on Ottawa. The government of Canada put in laws that said from coast to coast to coast, whatever the issue, wherever you are, however tiny the community, if you set up a certain kind of assembly as defined in that order, 
that might disrupt public peace. And, and protests are often disruptive, but not necessarily in ways that were similar to Ottawa. But any of those kinds of protests anywhere across the country, no matter how small, no matter the issue, all of those were prohibited. And there were very harsh consequences for people who attended or went in the direction of or assisted or and, and so on. And so we said that the right to peaceful assembly and the right to freedom of association had also been violated. Uh, the federal court did not go that route. Um, but but those were some of the arguments that we made. But the federal court certainly did find that the charter had been breached through those emergency orders. And that's part of the concern as well about the use of emergency orders. Times are, are, are difficult. Emotions are running high. People are seeing a crisis. They're experiencing a crisis. And sometimes people are more comfortable giving up their rights and freedoms and governments do so in ways that go beyond what is actually necessary in the circumstances. So you, you've said that you believe that there were other ways they could have ended the blockade. And I, I know that, you know, if you look at the timeline of how things unfolded, there was a blockade in Windsor that in fact was ended prior to the invocation of the Emergencies Act. But you know, the, the government says, look, we wanted to get those tow trucks to get rid of the, you know, the the the, the big trucks that were that were in Ottawa. And the only way uh, they would they, they could get the, the tow truck drivers to comply was using the Emergencies Act. Do, do you disagree with that? We, we do. And that was part of the evidence and the arguments that we laid out at the federal court. And as I said, ultimately, this was a law enforcement issue that was resolved through through ordinary law enforcement and did not need to invoke these dangerous, uh, Im important in extreme circumstances, but dangerous emergency powers. Because I am quite old, I recall when the War Measures Act, which doesn't exist any longer, it was replaced by the Emergencies Act, was invoked during the Quebec crisis. There were a lot of arrests across the entire country. Were there a lot of arrests when the Emergencies Act was invoked two years ago? I don't have the figures on how many people were arrested, but we do know that using those emergency orders, they shut down protests across the country. They sent people's names without uh, going through a court uh, for to freeze their bank accounts and their assets, which means that there was no opportunity to correct mistakes or for any, again, for any accountability or uh, checks and balances by having an independent judge review and make sure that that was appropriate. And then information was passed back to the RCMP, back to CSIS, back to security services. So there were some pretty serious charter violations that happened under this use of, use of the emergency laws, under the Emergencies Act, in a different way than rights and freedoms were violated under the War Measures Act uh, during the 1970 October crisis. I, I would say that, uh, you know, as, as, as you know, Danielle, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association in 1970 uh, also stood up and said using the emergency powers in this way is a violation of rights and freedoms that is beyond what is necessary and beyond what is reasonable. And it's very dangerous for people's fundamental rights. And it's interesting because to stand up in that moment of crisis when people are feeling concerned doesn't make you popular. But it, with time, there were commissions of inquiry after the War Measures Act that ultimately showed that that was the correct position to take, that CCLA had taken. And here, too, I think, you know, two years later, we've got the federal court saying, yes, 
in fact, use of the Emergencies Act was wrong and unlawful, and the orders that were passed were unconstitutional, which were the positions that CCLA had taken from the very beginning. Yes, well, I, you know, I, I, I recall uh, CCLA's involvement with actually the drafting of the Emergencies Act as a measure to replace the War Measures Act in in the 1980s when when that was going on. And one of the things that emerged, and I'm not saying that CCLA had anything to do with it, was that the Emergencies Act relies on a definition of a public order emergency that comes out of the CSIS Act. What do you think about that? Is that is that appropriate still? Does that need to be revised or you know, is it time we we do something completely different? I think I think the definition of the CSIS Act that it's a serious threat to the security of Canada is a standard, it's a high standard as you would expect for a very serious but dangerous law like the Emergencies Act. And so I think it does make sense to have that high threshold. It is one of the things that CCLA fought for when the Emergencies Act was passed as a replacement to the War Measures Act to make sure that governments couldn't use these emergency powers unless that kind of very serious situation was in place. One of the things that happened two years ago is that when the government invoked the Emergencies Act, they did so and they said, well, here are the reasons why. The Emergencies Act required that they set out their reasons. And their reasons were, you know, we're concerned about trade and we're concerned about the economy of Canada. And that had been implicated uh, you know, for a brief period when there were blockades at the borders, all of those blockades had been moved and taken apart by the time the Emergencies Act was used. So that was no longer an issue. And trade and the economy are really important. But trade and the economy, if they suffer for a few weeks, weighed against government giving itself massive powers. You know, that's that's a big that's a big trade off of our rights and freedoms. And if emergency powers get normalized. If this and future governments think that this is setting a precedent for, you know, something is difficult, something is complex, we can use emergency powers, bypass the usual democratic process, pass orders to address it, people are going to accept it, the next time we use it, they'll be used to it again, we can do it again. All of that is dangerous for our democracy, and democracy protects all of us because that's where we have accountability and an ability to speak up. So that's why it's it's really important to maintain that very high threshold. That's why we took the government to court so that all governments know the standard is high. Don't declare emergency powers if you can address the situation using regular laws. I guess that that you know, pr- protecting people's right to protest um, is very important, and and governments are required not just to um, uh, you know enable people to to uh, protest but to actually protect their right to do it and i my my feeling uh is that the, using the emergencies act broadly could in fact keep people from a labor strike for example if if it was uh shown that it was affecting the economy in some fashion is is that a concern that ccla has as well it's one of many concerns we have with emergency powers and with the shutting down of protests. Protest is, protest is even can even be disruptive, you know. But we we allow our streets to get shut down for all sorts of events, right? That the marathons and the Santa Claus parades and the um, you know special events that happen in our cities and in our public squares, these things 
Um, these things are part of the fabric of public life, and so is the ability for people to speak up about the environment or about, um, you know, racial justice or about the rights of trans youth or about, you know, any issue it is that people want to raise their voices about. Our public spaces is where that happens. And the guarantee in the charter says that that right is protected unless government shows that it is demonstrably necessary to create a limit. And then that limit has to be as minimal as possible because these rights are so important to protecting our expression and to protecting our other rights and our abilities to fight for them. Well, do you think that as the it currently stands that the Emergencies Act needs to be revised in any way or perhaps even struck down altogether and, and, and rebuilt if, if at all? Or are you happy with it the, the way it stands now that you've had this decision from the federal court, which of course will be uh, um, undoubtedly reviewed by the Supreme Court at some point? Well, we, we've started by looking at the Emergencies Act to see whether the standard was met, what that standard was. That has been our main focus. If an amendment is uh, brought in, then of course we'll take a very close look at it to see if it's appropriate and sufficiently protective of rights and freedoms, uh, if it's sufficiently protective of the right to protest. Because again, you have disruptive protest and then you have blockades that go too far and need to be dismantled. But in order to make sure that those balances happen right, we are safer. All, all of us are safer under the ordinary checks and balances of the democratic system. And right now, the Emergencies Act, was that standard was not met. And government was able to take apart those blockades in Ottawa that had caused such disruption using ordinary policing as they should. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Noah. I think that helps to, to clarify what um, what happened in the courts and uh, the position that the Canadian Civil Liberties Association took on it. And I have a sneaking suspicion that we will be speaking about this again sometime in the future. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's my great pleasure. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you. Danielle, that thank you. Thank you so much. That was my guest, Noah Mendelssohn-Aviv, who is the uh, General Counsel and Executive Director of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And we'll chat with you next week, Danielle. Thank you. Danielle McLaughlin and Noah join us on Know Your Rights today. Uh, always an interesting and insightful conversation and a lot of reflection on things that go on around Canada. Great conversation. And things to look at down the road because of everything has an effect on everything else. We will take a quick break, folks. When we return, we'll wrap up the show. We'll see what's coming up uh, now with Dave Brown, their show at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. We'll see what we've got for you. And are you looking forward to the April 8th eclipse? Well, instead of looking up, for those that can, you might want to look down and ponder some other things that will happen during the eclipse. We'll talk about it in a moment. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Thanks for being with us, folks. Appreciate your time. Of course, as we're here every day, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, you can check out repeats of the show 
10 p.m. Eastern is when they pop up on both AMI-audio and AMI-tv. And, of course, you can investigate the podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. We'd appreciate a rating and review maybe while you're in there, but mostly take in the show. Enjoy it in segment form or the complete Kelly and Ramya podcast experience where we toss on the audio vanity card at the end of it. Okay, the gang over at Now with Dave Brown, they assemble at 9 a.m. in the morning right here on AMI-tv. Rum, what do they have for us tomorrow morning? They've got a nice Tuesday lineup. There were over 2,500 suspected illicit drug deaths in Vancouver last year. That's 2023. So uh, Garth Mullins from the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users is going to reflect on the issues at the court of the overdose crisis. Of course, this is an ongoing conversation. Uh, the International Boat Show, in other news, recently took place in Toronto. So Lawrence Gunther is going to talk about uh, that, like recap it, and tell us about the rise of electric boats. Also, Tuesday is never really Tuesday without the weekly news quiz. So contestants Alicia Yardley, Karen McGee, and Alex Smythe are battling it out for the title. Awesome. Sounds good. Starting at 9 a.m. in the morning, AMI-tv. Now with Dave Brown, folks. So on April 8th, really cool event that will happen from Mexico basically through to Canada. You'll get a chance as we have an eclipse. Nice. Uh, millions across North America will witness day turn to night as the moon blocks out the light from the sun. Now, here's a thought, though, folks. While everyone's attention is focused on the sky, don't look at the eclipse. Don't do it with the naked eye. But looking down can reveal a scene that many people haven't really ever noticed. Shadow bands are thin, wavy lines of alternating light and dark that can be seen and moving and undulating in parallel um, on plain-colored surfaces immediately before and after a total solar eclipse. I don't think oh. I've ever heard of these. NASA is reminding people of these. And, of course, I think it's that whole, just keep looking down. Now, this does not necessarily happen during every eclipse. Mm. The sudden darkness during the middle-of-day room can play some tricks on the animals out there, too. Right. Um, this comes from a study. You know, we had that eclipse back in 2017 that uh, went through the United States, the great, uh, what I call it, American eclipse. And they found that birds, and this makes sense to me, that they were confused in the moments before totality due to the change in the sunlight. Mm -hmm. Sounds sensible, right? Yep. They would think, oh, it's nighttime suddenly. Doesn't make sense. Time. Yeah. Kind of like you listening to things on three times speed. Really? Um, chickens, be careful, Rum. I know your family's had experience with chickens, but mm -hmm. this time One they chicken. will think that uh, because of the eclipse that it's a sudden onset of the night and might look for a place to roost, followed by daybreak moments later or, you know, a short time later, which could spur them to look for food, i.e. Oh. how they came in your house. I mean, you ever wonder, maybe it was an eclipse that day. No, maybe it wasn't an eclipse. Chicken. It wasn't. Oh. It was just a normal just sunny day. Yeah. A normal Scarborough chicken. Um, most chickens, of course, eat in the mor morning, so that's how come they figure right. they'll yeah. start rooting around Dawn and is start here. to eat mm. again. Yeah. I wonder if the eclipse will have that effect on my eating habits. I'll start rooting around. Oh, the sun's <laughs> on. It's time to get breakfast. Fourth Cricket meal. Will <laughs> exactly. Second breakfast of the day. Uh, crickets will confused. also... Start, we'll get so mixed up. Not just the animals. Crickets will also start chirping around the height of the eclipse. Now, this may not really be a problem because the uh, eclipse will be in the spring. So I'm not so sure that'll be something to worry about, really. But boy, some interesting things to think about. And I think some of them pretty obvious, right? Mm. When did you say this was? Spring? April? April 8th. Wow. April 8th. That is coming uh, up. 
this is the big talk book. Just, just ask Mark Phoenix. Yeah. He'll tell you for yeah. sure. On our program tomorrow, no eclipse, folks, but how can you add a vegan and vegetarian source to your daily eating? Well, nutritionist Julia Karanchis, she'll tell us. Remember that we have our book club as well. We're reviewing Emperor of the North, Sir George Simpson, and the remarkable story of the Hudson's Bay Company by James Raffan. Interesting book. A lot of history there if you like that kind of stuff. Folks, we'll be back tomorrow. 2 p.m. Eastern time. Fedora's off to you. Good night, all. So for you football fans, yes, I'm addressing you, NFL fans specifically. Well, I used to be a big fan of the NFL, kind of in and out, kept track. Last, oh gosh, I don't know now, eight years or so, maybe even longer, I've been a part of a pool. Why? I don't know. Just kind of felt cool to do. Sort of like going back to the barber shop and doing that. It's that, hey, I haven't done this before. This is kind of neat. Got season's tickets for basketball. Go to the barber shop. And now I have this little thing about, all right, I'm going to take part in a pool. However, the problem is I've never been enough of an NFL fan to kind of really know how to make my picks. And you just here go for the right and wrong. Um, or really for the team you think is going to win. So I've been playing around with that and enjoyed it. And for several years I'd watch part of maybe every third or fourth weekend I'd take a bit of time to watch a part of a game. But really only check scores, check standings, and that's it. Well, in the last couple of years, it's been coming on that I've been paying more attention. And I've been liking teams more. I've been involved in the games more. I've actually found myself sitting down wanting to watch a part of a specific game. This year, I found myself actually watching whole games. Not a lot. But I will tell you, the playoffs were wonderful. Now, I bring this to the attention of anyone listening who may or may not necessarily be a fan or those marginal people that maybe are on playoff time (laughs) you know you get into it more but I've kind of enjoyed it the only thing I don't quite understand and I found this when I picked up curling I was pretty good to start it lawn bowling pretty good my first time out then I start taking direction and of course you got to make the adjustments and you fall off as people try to understand what you can do and how to help you So I don't quite understand since no one's really helping me here other than what standings are there. But since I've been watching the games more, I've been doing worse in my pool. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.